Welcome to the FCC Podcast. Hear all the stories, worship, and teaching from Sunday service. Want to connect with us or learn more about FCC? Visit us at FCCETown.com.
Well, happy Mother's Day to all our moms who are in the room with us right now, and happy Mother's Day to all of our moms who are online with us right now. And I get to kind of give a shout out, a special happy Mother's Day to my mom who's watching online right now. And so uh, we are in this series. It's called Words Matter. And um, it just seemed appropriate here on Mother's Day. Uh, I I started to think through the fact that I have spent a, a good deal of my life in a home with a mom, okay? In, in part of my growing up period, and then also now that we have kids in our house. And, and so I've been around moms quite a bit, and I have learned um, some things that, that moms say. And though it's important, the series is all about, you know, understanding the words that we say and being intentional about the words that we say. It's also important to understand the words and hear words coming at you in an appropriate manner, okay? And so I wanna take just a moment to share some of my life experience with you um, with some words that you're gonna hear and make sure that you understand what those words mean and that you don't just take them at face value. For instance, okay, um, you may hear a mom in your house say, I'm fine. What that actually means is, I am most certainly not fine. Okay, so if you hear I'm fine, that's what you need to understand. This is what that means, okay? And there's all kinds of comments like this, all kinds of moments where you're gonna get these kinds of phrases where you need to know more of what's underneath the words, like this one. Do what you want, okay? You're gonna hear a mom say, do what you want. She doesn't mean that. What she means is, you should think really long and hard about what you're about to do and then not do it. That's what do what you want means, okay? Some of them are more complicated than that, okay? Some of the things you're gonna hear, you might hear this. It's fine with me, go ask your dad. What that means, she's just stalling, okay? This is a ploy that's going on. You just need to be aware of that, and the full translation of what this means is, no way your dad is gonna say yes to that because I won't let him. Some of them are more subtle. Okay, so you may hear your mom say something like this. Your sister is engaged, how great is that? And it seems like that's positive, right? But what she really means by that is, why are you still living in my basement? (laughs) And then something maybe you've heard more recently, and very recently, and this is something that maybe if you have heard it, you need to kind of reframe your, your brain on this, but I don't need a gift for Mother's Day. You may have had a mom in your house say that, okay? If you heard that and you took those words as truth, you are a sucker, okay? Because what that really means is, I most definitely need a gift for Mother's Day and cash is acceptable. So there's still time, you've got an opportunity to fulfill that. So those are just some helpful hints for Mother's Day 2022. Words that you hear don't always mean what, what you hear them say, but it's not about necessarily the words that we hear. As we're talking about what words matter, we're talking about the words that we say. And in some cases, words that we have gotten away from saying. And last week, we talked about some special words, I give up. And so if you were not with us last week, I would encourage you to go back. You can go to our website, fccetown.com, and you can click on the messages and go right to that message and just hear how those words, I give up, can actually be something positive in your life in in certain instances and in certain moments. And so we, we hope you'll take advantage of that. But today... I'm gonna encourage you to to speak and to say three of the most important words in the English language. And those words are, I love you. 
Now, it's probably not a big mystery to you that the words, I love you, are important, that they have value, but I want to spend a little time this morning understanding where love comes from and why love exists in your life, and then spending some time talking about how we can best use those words, best express those words, I love you, into your life, into your home, into your family, into the relationships that you have, into the relationship that you have with God. See, at First Christian Church, everything that we do around here is built around our vision. We're here to lead people closer to Jesus. And as we're here to lead people closer to Jesus, uh, this idea of, of I love you certainly fits into that. And, and, and we believe that the Bible is there leading people to Jesus. And the Bible has a lot to say about this subject of love and the origin of love, like in 1 John chapter 4. In fact, 1 John chapter 4, the whole chapter is really all about origin and all about the insights around love in your life and through your life. Like in in 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, where we read, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Okay? If you want to know where love starts, if you want to know where love originates, where it was created, where the foundation of love is, love is found in God himself. And then John goes on and says, anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. So if you know somebody who is very loving and you ex- experience love from someone, what you also need to understand about that is that that love is coming from the fact that they were created by God, that they are created in the image of God and so that love flows through them. Later on in the chapter, John says uh, in, in verse 10, this is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and he sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. See, the, the mystery in, in the relationship we have, it's not that big a deal that we love God. It's not a surprise that we love God. I mean, God is perfect, and, and God is creativity, and God is beauty, and God is power, and God is generosity. God is all of those things, and so it's not a huge surprise or a huge effort on our part to express love to God. What's surprising in the relationship is that God would love us. But you see, in his grace and in his joy, in his creativity, in his mercy, in his longing, All of that is all wrapped together in the love that he has for us. And that real love that comes from God, it it has power in this world. It's not just a word. It's not just an emotion. It has power in this world. John says later on in the same chapter, perfect love drives out fear. And we live in a world that wants to talk right now about fear and anxiety and worry and in the midst of all those things that are very real in our world, John says, look, it is, it is love that comes from God that pushes aside, that, 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 that casts off, that drives away fear. That's the power that comes from the love of God. Jeremiah wrote about this love from God to his people long ago. He said, long ago the Lord said to Israel, I have loved you my people, with an everlasting love, with unfailing love, I have drawn you to myself. God has always been in the love business. It is is the trade of God. Love has been his trade since the beginning 
of time. And God loves to say to his children, to you, to me, he loves to say, I love you. And, and since we are creations of God, okay, since we are made in the image of God, then it, it stands to reason that we have within us a desire, a longing to share love as well and to let love flow through us. It's what drove Paul to write about it in, in, in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter five, he spoke specifically to husbands. He said, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Guys, you wanna know how, how significant the love for your wife needs to be? How far reaching that love really is? How long lasting that love was always intended to be? You just compare it to the love that Jesus had for his bride, the church. And he was willing to lay down his life for her. And so there you go. That's what that love in a marriage is supposed to look like. That's how long it's to last. We need to grow used to saying, and yet also impassioned about these words, I love you. Because we live in a society right now and we've lived enough life right now to where those words, I love you, have kind of gotten um, shaded by lots of different things and, and sometimes don't mean to us what they're supposed to mean. And, and yet we need to be passionate about those words, I love you. And so w with the time that I've got left, I just want to switch gears a little bit and spend some time practically talking about how do we express those words, I love you? If those words are important, if those words are the most important words in the English language, then how can we express these words, I love you? Well, first of all, there's this one. Just um, come right out and say it, okay? Just actually say, I love you to someone. Those three words will change everything. And maybe you remember the first time that your spouse said to you, I love you. Or maybe you remember the first time that you said to your spouse, I love you. There's been a lot of time that's passed since then. For some of us, it's, you know, decades of time have gone by since we first said those words to our spouse, I love you. But if you can think back, and that they were powerful words, they were meaningful words, they may have kept you up all night just thinking about the, those words ringing in your ear that came from, from your spouse. That's why those words are very difficult to say in just a dating relationship now because we do have some understanding of the power of those words, of the meaning of those words, and so that they're hard for those words to come out of our mouths sometimes. And think about the first time that you heard your child form the words and say out of their little sweet little face, I love you. I love you, daddy. I love you, mama. The first time you heard those words from that little face, it melted your heart. And now they're teenagers. <laughs> and you haven't heard that word in a long time. And now if you heard I love you come out of their sweet little face, it, it wouldn't melt your heart. You, you'd stop your heart. You'd just be like, I can't believe that just happened. I love you is powerful when it's spoken out loud. 
Some of you have some very deep friendships. Some with people that you don't get to see very often. Maybe you haven't had a face-to-face conversation with them in a long time, but you're on the phone with them all the time. You're doing FaceTime with them all the time. And they are such deep friends, even though not family, they're such deep friends that you just very naturally end every conversation, even if it's on the phone, with, hey, I love you. And even right now, as you think about that, it, it has an impact on your soul, those words. I love you. It's hard to overstate or to overestimate the importance of hearing the words, I love you, come out of the mouth of someone that you dearly love. And so if I love you is something that you, you think a lot about a friendship that you have or someone in your family, and you think a lot about how those words, I love you, or how you feel about them, but you don't say that very often, can I just tell you that your friends and your family don't need more of your silence on this issue and these words. I love you. Second expression of this love is um, extend a loving touch. Now, this may feel out of bounds for some of us. Some of you may be just kind of like, hey, that's way outside my comfort zone. I mean, even though we're talking about you know, appropriate touches. That is just not me. It's not what I do. It's not part of our family culture. It's not part of what I've experienced. And, and, it, and it might not even be you, okay? It, 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 just so you know, that discomfort and that, that kind of just feeling like that's out of your comfort zone, that, that may actually be a cultural thing. Uh, Dr. Dashard Keltner, who is the professor of UC Berkeley, uh, or at UC Berkeley, says that most American adults experience a touch-deprived culture, okay? And the reason he was able to say that is he based that entire statement on uh, one case study that was done across the globe, okay? And the way that the case study was done is that they uh, had two friends come together at a cafe, at a coffee house, and sit across the table from each other and have a conversation, okay? Not the same two people, not the same coffee shop, different people, different coffee shops, different towns, different countries, different cultures all around the world. But the same period of time, same setting, 90-minute conversation over coffee at a, at a cafe or coffee house. In England, when they performed this case study and, and did this experiment, um, two people sitting across the table from each other for 90 minutes having a conversation had absolutely zero human touch or interaction physically with one another at any point during the conversation, okay? Then they, they tried the United States, okay? Now, the United States, we feel good about that, okay, right? Coming to the United States, we're gonna be better at this. This is something we, we, we probably can handle better than zero. I mean, come on. So you get to the United States, two people sitting in a, a, a coffee house having a conversation over 90 minutes of time. Two times, was there human touch that happened between the people in the United States. And both times were over a, a moment in the conversation that, that kind of went up and got exuberant about something. So basically what took place, the human touch that happened was a high five or a fist bump. Because that's what we've got to offer here in the United States. Meanwhile, same experiment done in Puerto Rico, 90 minute conversation, two friends sitting a, across a, a coffee table from one another, 180 touches in Puerto Rico during 90 minutes of time, which means if you need a hug right now, get yourself to Puerto Rico. 
okay? Because that's what's going to happen there. But here in the United States, we're different. And it's part of our culture. And so uh, culturally, um, we are adverse to, to human touch. But think about Jesus. And think about Jesus' time here on earth and what we read about him in scripture. And what we experience in, as we read about Jesus is that Jesus made time and, and got intentional about expressing I love you through human touch. The, the appropriate touches of Jesus, there were a time when the disciples were trying to keep children away from Jesus. Some of you know this moment. And the, the, the kids are trying to get at Jesus and the disciples are trying to send them away. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Let them come here. Okay, but that's not all he said. We, sometimes we end the story there where Jesus said, no, let them come here. But here's what happened, okay? Mark chapter 10, verse 16. And he took the children in his arms and he placed his hands on them and he blessed them. Okay, my image of this, and granted, this is my translation of the Bible, so it's worth nothing, but my image of this is that he is like the greatest uncle ever and that there are kids climbing all over Jesus. Or think about when Jesus did miracles. When Jesus healed people, we know from other occasions that Jesus didn't have to be in the same room with somebody to heal them. We know that he didn't even have to be in the same town with someone to heal them. And yet we have countless occasions in scripture where, where Jesus very intentionally touches people to heal them, to give them that expression of love in their life and not just physical healing. There's a moment in Matthew chapter eight where he encounters a man with leprosy. Now in the first century, leprosy was a, extremely contagious disease. It still is, but it's just confined to certain parts of the world. And, 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 and it was extremely contagious to the point that whenever anybody was diagnosed with leprosy, they were immediately colonized. Okay, They were put outside of the city in these places where just people with leprosy would live. And so they were not allowed to be around anyone that they'd grown up with, anyone that they loved and that loved them. And so some of these people had gone 20 years, 30 years, 40 years without the embrace of someone who loved them, without the embrace of someone that they loved. And so when we get to Matthew chapter eight and Jesus is gonna heal this man, it says that Jesus reached out his hand. He didn't have to do that. And he touched the man. Because this guy needed more than just physical healing in his life. He needed someone who would express love to him in that way. And so in times of crisis, in times of need in our life. A hug is often that communication of love that we need, is often the way that we express I love you or that we need I love you expressed to us. Now, I say a hug. It, it can differ depending on who you are, okay? Some of us are just not made up that way. Some of us would say right now, I'm not a hugger. It's just the way we are. Um, you can do like the Ancestry.com thing and figure out what part of the world you're from and getting a little bit of insight on what your heritage is might give you an understanding of what level of like human touch you're comfortable with, okay? So like if a significant portion of your ancestry is let's say Dutch, um, if you're Norwegian, you're probably cool with a handshake. Like that expresses 
everything you've ever needed to have said to you. There's all kinds of love that is expressed to you with a handshake if, if you're Dutch. On the other end of the spectrum, if you're Italian, you need like a full body hug and a couple of sways at the end and be lifted off the ground. That's the only way that you're gonna really have love expressed to you. So whatever you are, there's some form of, of that expression of love that, that matters to you. But here's the thing. If you're saying right now, well, that's just not me. I'm not comfortable with any of that. That's not what I grew up with. That's not what my family does. We're just not that way. Can I tell you that I, I think you might be wrong on that one? And I want to challenge you to step out of your comfort zone or step out of your cultural comfort zone and maybe just consider expressing love in, in appropriate human touch. Okay, another expression, and that is to enter into the life of people that you love, okay, and, and in a real way. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. I realize today's Mother's Day, and we've made kind of a big deal about Mother's Day, and we want to celebrate moms on Mother's Day, and we want to celebrate that it's Mother's Day and have all kinds of occasions to, to kind of highlight that it's Mother's Day, and that's because we know there's a lot of people here who have looked forward to this day and have, have wanted to honor moms. And some people have been at it for like two weeks getting ready for this day that they get to honor their mom because they love their mom so much. Other people have been at it for like two days kind of getting things ready. Some of you woke up this morning and you looked on your phone and found out it was Mother's Day today. And so you've been at it for like two hours. Okay, so whatever. You're getting things ready, but you're excited because it's Mother's Day and you want to honor mom because you love mom. There are others who are in this room who don't have that same tone to Mother's Day. Because Mother's Day is a reminder of um, a very painful relationship or a very strained relationship. And there are some who, when it gets to Mother's Day, they, they just want to get through it and get past it and get on the other side of it and let's just not worry about it. And then there are others for whom today is a day of mourning. Because you've lost mom and there have been times when you really got to celebrate mother's day and you're remembering that and and so th there, there's some mourning that goes along with this day and, and my guess is that right here in this room all of those emotions exist but when you actually enter into someone's life that you love and you really know what's going on with them and you know the details of their emotions, then you know what this day means for them, and you know how to respond. It's the amazing value that we have around here with our life groups. In our life groups, in, in settings where you actually are with people pretty regularly, sometimes you know, once a week and sometimes twice a week because you guys get together and hang out outside of your group time and it's different than the experience we have here because here we get to worship together, but largely we're staring at the back of somebody else's head in the row in front of us. We're not staring at the face of someone during a group time. But in our life groups, it's incredible because you, you are known and you get to know people. And when you love someone, it means that you you know the high sides of their life and you know 
the low sides of their life and you know everything in between and you are there for all of it. You rejoice when they rejoice, you grieve when they grieve. Back to Jesus and his example. In, in the first century, one of the greatest celebration moments that happened in any family's life was a wedding. And weddings didn't just last for like a day. Weddings went on for a few days, sometimes a week. And you never quite knew exactly what was going to happen at a wedding. There were some parts that were going to happen, but it typically included a lot of party and celebration. And those party and celebration moments could get out of control and could kind of span and, and spread into some places that really caused the religious people of the day to stay away from weddings. They didn't go to weddings because they just didn't know how raucous it was going to get and what was going to happen there. They didn't want to be kind of trapped in a setting that they would feel uncomfortable in. So religious people stayed away. But not Jesus. Jesus went to weddings. Many of you may know that the first miracle that Jesus did was at a wedding. He, he turned water into more wine for a wedding that had already gone on for a few days. Now, why would Jesus do that? Especially if the religious elite were watching and, and, and they didn't really think too highly of being in those kinds of settings. I, I think it's because Jesus was living up to that verse that said rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. And these were friends of his. He didn't really care what the religious elite were going to say. He wanted to be with them to rejoice. And so he was going to rejoice. In fact, he believed that him being there was maybe going to bring a little extra joy to the rejoicing that was already going on. And so he was there. But he did rejoice with those who rejoiced, and he mourned with those who mourned. Jesus went to weddings, but he also went to funerals. And one of the moments that I, I guess is most famous in, in Jesus' life and ministry is the funeral that he went to for his good friend Lazarus. And Maybe the reason that it's most famous is it gives us the shortest verse in the Bible, and so every kid who ever had to memorize a verse of Scripture, this is the one they shot for, 11, John eleven thirty five, because at this funeral, Jesus wept. That's the whole verse. But Jesus wept because there were people around him who were weeping. They were friends of his, people that he cared about greatly, and he, he was sad because they were sad. And so Jesus really was someone who rejoiced with those who rejoiced and cried with those who cried. When we think about Jesus and we think about this life that we're supposed to live that kind of mimics his, when we let people enter into our life and we enter into people's lives and we love them, it means that we know the high times and we know the low times. And we know the emotional details that are wrapped up in all of that. And we rejoice with them when they rejoice. And we grieve with them when they grieve. So those are kind of some expressions that we have for each other. When it comes to this phrase, I love you, that we're, we should try and find ways that we can actually say those words out loud to one another. That we should find ways that, that we can have just an expression of a human touch with, with someone to let them know that we love them and, and that we would enter into somebody's life and really know who they are and really know what's going on and rejoice with them and grieve with them. But what about this relationship that's vertical that we have with God? Where, where does I love you fit into all of that? Well, I, I think it's this, that we need to tell Jesus, I love you. 
And, and I don't mean that to sound overly simplistic or, or to feel like it's some type of a misdirection or some type of unnecessary exercise. I, I actually believe that it may be an exercise that is um, more pressing to your relationship with Jesus right now than you may realize. John chapter 21. It's the very last chapter of John's eyewitness account of the time that he spent with Jesus on earth. And in that final chapter, it's after the crucifixion, it's after the resurrection, it's after all the drama of, of who got to see Jesus first and how that all took place and then the groups that Jesus met with and the individuals that Jesus met with and and we get to John chapter 21 and there's this moment that Jesus spends eye to eye with his closest friend. The moment starts off with Jesus out at the edge of the lake where his friends have been out fishing all night long. And right there on the shore, Jesus builds a fire. And as the sun's coming up, he's making breakfast for his friends. Now just picture that for a moment. Think about the fact that there's this setting where Jesus has put together a, a fire and he's got some type of a grate over the fire and I don't know what he's cooking. He's cooking fish, he's cooking eggs, I'm not sure, but he, he's got this, this whole thing happening and he's just waiting for his friends to come to shore and they're all gonna sit together in a circle around this fire and just have breakfast together as the sun comes up. That is an incredible setting. And it's in that setting that Jesus looks strongly into the eyes of his very dear friend and formerly trusted follower, Peter. Now at this particular moment, Peter's role and place in this group of people is kind of in question, at least in Peter's mind. If you'll remember, there were three different occasions when Jesus was on trial and Jesus had false accusations being brought against him. There were three different occasions where Peter pretended like he didn't even know Jesus. And Jesus is in the most desperate hour of his life. He is at the moment where he needs his friends nearby. And Peter denies that he even knows who that guy is. And so what does Jesus do around the fire at breakfast? Well, he asks Peter, eye to eye, man to man, over a manly breakfast on the beach. Peter, do you love me? And three different times he asks Peter, do you love me? And that was no accident. Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And Peter got to say three times to Jesus, I love you. How many times did Peter deny Jesus? How many times was it? Go ahead, you can say it out loud, it's okay. There it is. How many times did Peter get to say, I love you? It's no accident. Very intentional. Now what Jesus actually said to Peter were these words. 
He said, Simon, son of John. That's Peter's given name, okay? Not the name that Jesus gave Peter, but his given name. He goes back to that and he says, Simon, son of John, at a foundational level, do you love me more than these? I'm not even sure exactly what Jesus meant by this. I'm not sure if he was asking, look, do you love me more than you love the boats and the nets and the fish and all the stuff that's part of your life? Or I I don't know if he was saying something deeper and saying to, to Peter, look, do you love me more than all these other guys sitting around the fire love me? But what I do know is that Jesus was trying to get Peter to prioritize where Jesus fit in his life. There's a lot of things that transpire after this moment. The, there's, there's a charge that's given to Peter and, and declaration that Peter's gonna be significant in the startings of the church and just incredible stuff that happens after this moment. But I don't wanna leave this moment. Because here's Jesus making Peter take just a moment to prioritize where I love you, Jesus, fits in his story. Isn't it incredible, isn't it meaningful that the one who created heaven and earth, okay, the one who separated the Red Sea, the the one who breathed life into you, the one who knows absolutely everything about you already, still has a longing to hear the words come out of your mouth. Jesus, I love you. So when was the last time that you said that to him? When was the last time that you said to Jesus, I love you? Now there's this initial sincere I love you moment that happens for for all of us who are followers of Jesus and it's that moment where we turn our life over to Jesus. It's that moment where we decide to to cease resistance to God and we're gonna hand our life over to God and we're gonna express that through an I love you moment that is baptism and we have to watch an I love you moment happen just a few moments ago in baptism. Let me tell you how much I love you that was. The heater broke on the baptistry this week, okay? It forgot to turn on, we have power surge. It's okay, it's gonna be great, okay? But not bath water warm. She knew that going in. That's when I love you takes a whole nother level, okay? You're in like Jordan River water getting baptized in the name of Jesus. That is I love you to Jesus. And some of you are here today and, and you need to say I love you to Jesus that way. You've been holding out on the fringe for a long, long time. And maybe that's an I love you that needs to be spoken and done. Or maybe it's in your prayer. Maybe it's in your prayer life where you actually take the moment to say the words out loud to Jesus, I love you, instead of listing off all the things that you want from him. Or maybe it's in your worship where instead of watching other people sing out loud and watching other people sing the words and the lyrics to the songs while you are a bystander just watching it all happen and thinking that it sounds really pretty? You lift your voice and you lift your words as you say, I love you 
to Jesus. We have constant ways to express to the people who are in our life and to our Savior those incredible words. And we need to be willing to express over and over and over again in every kind of way those words to others and to him. I love you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we love you, and, and yet the list for why we love you could go on and on and on. And God, sometimes because we are not sure that we would find all of the reasons or say all of the right words or express them in all the right ways, we don't think about all the reasons that we love you. We just know that we do, and maybe we've even grown into the habit with you of thinking those words but staying silent on them in our relationship with you. God, would you help us? Would you challenge us with each other and even with you to have the boldness to say, I love you. To express I love you in all kinds of different ways. May those be sincere words to each other and sincere words to you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask that you would stand with me this morning. And today may be a day that you need to say, I love you to Jesus for that very first time. That I, I, I love you, Jesus. I love what you have done for me. And I love how sincere and how real your relationship is with me. And, and I want to say, I love you back in, in that way that you've asked us to to accept you, to, to cease resistance, to turn my life over to you, to be baptized in your name. We got the heater fixed. It is so hot in there now. I'm telling you, you should do it if that's a, an expression of love. We had someone in our first service who came, and, and, and she's gonna, we're, we're setting a time. She didn't even know about the baptistry. It's not a problem. She's setting a time that she's gonna take that step and be baptized. We're so excited to see that happen. But maybe this is a time where you want to say, hey, I want to be a part of a family that loves, that loves each other, that loves God, that's seeking to strive after that. If that's a decision that you have to make this morning, we invite you to walk right down these aisles, to say yes to Jesus, be baptized in his name, to say yes to being a part of this church and, and, and joining with us in the effort here. But every single one of us in the room has a moment right now to express love. Express love through worship, through singing, through lifting our voice, through lifting our words, no matter what our voice sounds like, no matter if we get all the words right or not, it doesn't matter. Because we are simply saying to our Lord and our Savior, I love you. If you have a decision to make, we invite you to come. We have folks who will be here to talk with you, pray with you. But it, it, it is, let this be a moment that we express our love to our Savior as we sing together. Now I choose.